Yeah. You came back. Yeah, last week was kind of heavy. I was like, oh, he may not come back because he's just a crying guy up there all the time. And uh, he came, I, bought, I bought a new shirt. You like my new shirt? Walmart, $17. You can get it right there, right? And uh, I, my, my philosophy is Walmart doesn't carry it. You don't need it. That's just philosophy right there. But, um, but well, welcome back. So well, we're in week two of this, this series I'm calling New Day where I'm, I'm kind of working through with you some of the like, big truths that God has been teaching me over the last six months while I was on, on sabbatical. Um, but here's what I mean by that. God used the leadership of this church to put me, here's the phrase I'm kind of landed on, I got put in time out. Okay, and, and it wasn't a punishment though. It felt really, really bad at first, um, like like everything does. But um, but not just not that not just a chance to rest. Although I needed, I was exhausted. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But 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 the space to wrestle with God with some stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like some stuff that um that I, I know is true, at least in my head, but I had a hard time believing it was true for me. I think it'd be true for other people, but it wasn't true for me. And here's what happened when you're living your life based on some, some, something that's not true. It's like, it's like you're running your life on a bad operating system. Nothing's gonna go well, right? It feels like everything is about to fall apart. You get out of bed every day going, is this the day? right? Is this the day where everything crashes? And you just, you just live your life in a panic. And so, so last week I unpacked um, kind of how, how we all have these things called risk managers. Remember, I, ta- I talked about that. Um, and here's what I mean by a risk manager. It's a, it's a behavior or something you do consciously, but usually it's, it's subconsciously. You don't even think about it, where you do things that you think you have to do just to stay alive, just to survive, right? To, to protect ourselves. And, and my risk manager, my operating system has kind of run my life since I was a little kid was this. I, I feel like I have to control everything because if I don't, something bad will happen to me and I'll get hurt. Can anybody identify with that? Yeah, right? And, and the truth that God uh, reminded me of that was still true but I had forgotten or had a tough time believing for me was this. Kind of the takeaway last week was God is in control and I am not. And he never told me to be. All right? The only thing he's ever told me to even pay attention to or try to control is my mouth. All right, and my body and myself, and self-control is even a, a, a benefit of having the Spirit of God live inside of you. I can't even do that by myself. So I'm not in control. God is. And kind of the application for me was Flatirons is God's church. It's not mine. Right? It's, this isn't my church. It's God's church. Well, 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 then what do you do? I'm supposed to show up every day and be faithful and obedient to what I know he has told me to do with what he's entrusted me to do it with. That's you all. And the application was pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. For, for all of us, um, it's like you just take out you know, my story and take out the word flat irons and you can put anything in there for you. You can put in your husband or wife's name. You were never told to control them. Doesn't work. You can put your kid's name in there. You can put your job in there. You can put your finances in there. You can put your health in there. You can't and you were never told to control any of those things. You were told to care for them and care and control are not the same thing, right? What do you mean care for them? You show up every day like you promised you show up every day and you be faithful and obedient to what you know God has told you to do. And the rest is out of your pay grade. Right? It's, not, it's God's. Right? And you can't do it. And he's got it. All right? And uh, the, the thing is, is that the more you try to control those things and those people in your life, eventually, um, first of all, it just slips through your finger and you live your life in a panic. But the other thing is, um, you're going to lose them because nobody wants to live with you. If you're a control freak, even if you're trying to control things for a good reason, eventually it just hurts everything and everybody around you. So truth number one goes like this. God is in control and we are not, which sounds kind of scary to give up control to God. All right, But then you stop and go, well, what kind of God do we have? He's good, he loves us, and he wants good for us. So if that's true, then I can trust God. You've got this. Even when, I, even when I, I don't feel like you've got it, even when I don't understand what's going on in my life, or like sabbatical for me is like, even when I don't like what's happening, 
I can still know it's going to be okay because I have a good God and I can have peace. All right? So that was last week. So, so before I get into truth number two, though, um, last week I mentioned this, is that I, I, over this sabbatical, I've kind of developed a, a soundtrack for my life, if you want to call it that. And here's what I mean by that. When you're going through a really, really emotional time, and that sabbatical has been that, um, and, and you're just driving down the road in your truck or something like that, a song will come on the radio and you'll go, that's it, that's my song. All right? And that happens with worship with me for a lot of times. Sometimes I want to say something to God and I just like pray like this. Uh, you know, uh, that kind of prayer, you know. And then I'll hear a worship song and I go, that's what I wanted to say to you. Right? So I have this soundtrack. And the song, so the, at all our campuses, the band is going to play this song. This is one of those songs. Now i got to talk to the church people. It's not a Christian song. Take a breath, you're fine. All right? Um, but it doesn't mention God. It doesn't mention Jesus or anything like that. But I, to me, it's very, very spiritual. And, and maybe it will be that way for you, too. It's a, it's a little band out of Austin uh, called Green River Ordinance. And um, my friend Erin uh, Henderson in Mexico, she sent it to me. Um, and as I listened to it over and over several thousand times, um, I realized this is the same thing Jesus has been trying to teach me as well. So, so listen to this. Here we go.
been listening to that song all weekend, and it um, doesn't matter, I could listen to that song the rest of my life, I'm going to remember the first place I heard it, driving down the road in my truck, and I had to pull over uh, that middle part. Um, when you are broken, you're not forgotten. But doesn't it feel like you are in times like that? You'll be strong, and when the fight that you're facing leaves you just burn out, you shake it. Hold on to that thought. <laughs> it's not a spiritual song at all. But um, uh, uh, so let's get into my story because I get all these emails going. So what's the real dirt? What's behind sabbatical? It's, there's none. Anyway, well, kind of. Well, no. <laughs> no, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, so, no, get it. so here. So let me just go into the sabbatical story, okay? Um, the real story behind the story, right? So I was put on sabbatical on a Tuesday morning, okay? I get an email on Monday going, the elders would like to meet with you. And I show up at my, at my office on Tuesday morning, and it's, it's empty. And uh, it, it, that meeting ended up being what I feel like is an intervention. I've seen the show, okay? So you're in there going, this isn't normal. And then all of a sudden the door opens, and people walk in in single file, and they all have letters in their hand, and you're pretty sure they're going to put you on a plane to a rehab at any moment. And that's what happened. So, I, so, so, so on Tuesday morning, I show up there, and I sit down, and everybody's around the table looking very, very sad, and, and they, they give me, uh, here's the plan. Okay, let me give you a little backstory. okay? My wife, Robin, has three, like, triggers for anxiety and just uh, panic, all right? And they are flying on airplanes, all right, going to foreign countries and imposing on people. Those are, like, the big ones, okay? So I sit down, and the elders tell me the plan on Tuesday morning. On Thursday, Robin and I are on an airplane, to Mexico, right, to move in with James and Aaron Henderson, missionaries down there, who happen to be hosting the biggest retreat of their entire 20-year missionary career at their house, okay? So we hit them all. Trifecta, we won, okay? And so we're like, this is, this is going to be great, all right? And so we're just a nervous wreck. So, so we fly down to Mexico City on Thursday, and, and uh, uh, because their house is full of people, all right, they had arranged for us to stay in this bed and breakfast uh, a couple miles from, from their house. It was beautiful. It was this old remodeled mansion in, uh, in Mexico City. It used to be owned by, like, some, some Mexican movie star. I don't even remember their name, right? It was just beautiful. And when we got there, we went, this is beautiful. We don't care. We just want to go to bed. Because we were just tired and exhausted, all right? So we go, we check in, they show us everything, we go, great, thanks, leave us alone. And then it's like, we gotta get some rest. Oh no, that was not God's plan for us. 
No, no. So, we, so, we, so we're in this old, beautiful mansion, right? And it was an old building, and so it didn't have any air conditioning. But that's okay. It had these huge windows that opened up to this big, beautiful yard. So we opened it up um, for two reasons. Partially to get a breeze in there, because like 100 degrees, all right? And also, when we walked in the room, we noticed that something had died recently, all right? And so it turns out to be rotten meat in the little mini fridge. It's been unplugged for about a week. So, but I didn't know that. So I walk up to this mini fridge, and I'm like, I, babe, I know if I open this, there's a human head in here. I just know it, all right? Because it's Mexico, and I watched Narcos. I watched all three seasons. It's, it's possible. Don't judge me. It wasn't. It was just me. But anyway, so, so we call Hazmat or whoever. Right? They come in with masks going, sorry, senior, bye. And they take it out, all right? They took the fridge away, and they're like, okay, finally we get some rest, all right? So we turn off the lights, and we lay down. Oh, no. Again, not God's will for our life at this moment to get any rest. So this is a beautiful old house. And the next day, they were going to host a, a wedding out there in the beautiful yard, okay? So it's about 10 o'clock at night, and for some reason, they had hired a wedding singer, and he thought this would be a good time to rehearse, Okay, I'm not sure he even spoke English, but for four hours he practiced Billy Joel's She's Always a Woman to Me. <laughs> oh, she takes care of herself. And we're like, this is just absolutely horrible. And so, so but who are we going to complain to? All right, so, so finally that, that died down. We thought we can get some rest. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if it's a, a Mexico thing or a worldwide thing. I don't know if there was a full moon. But apparently all the cats, all the alley cats, and there are several million of them in Mexico City, decided now is the time to make mad, passionate cat love right outside my window. <laughs> it's nuts. Have you, if you've ever been within a quarter mile of a, a cat orgy, it's just like, it's like they're killing babies out in the bushes. Like, ah! It was like, go, go, dude. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just horrible and we're just like we're trying to laugh and trying to what you know whatever and it's like this is just absolutely horrible so finally they they wear themselves out and have a cigarette go home I don't know what they do but I'm not making this up this really happened all right so they settled down and okay let's go to bed and no oh no oh no no because apparently there's a lot of roosters in Mexico City did you know that? And around 4 a.m., they all decide, let's wake the city up. It's time, time to get up. And so that went on for two nights. And finally, we said, we, we got to move. We've got to get out of this place, all right? So we, we switched hotels. We switched to this hotel, uh, like a modern hotel in downtown Mexico City. It was supposed to be 20 minutes away, but when Enrico, our Uber driver, shows up and we start the journey, his GPS on his phone went dead, and Enrico got lost in his own city. Hey, Uber people, you should know your city, all right? So all, all I'm saying, and, and he doesn't speak English. And so after about an hour and a half or so, I navigate us to our hotel, all right? And, and by the way, the way I translate in a country where I don't speak the language, I just say English louder. <laughs> and in Mexico, you just put an O on the end of everything. Turn no right O, all right? And it, it, it didn't matter. It's not helpful. All right? For the records, that's how the trip started. It ended on a great note, too. Uh, after about six days down there, um, we're sitting in the Mexico City Airport on the runway, and, and that's when God decided to let a volcano erupt right outside of town. And that grounded everybody, and we're like, God hates us, and we don't really like him right now either, all right? So that, anyway, so back to the hotel. So we check into this great hotel uh, downtown. It's this big high-rise modern thing, okay? And you think, oh, it's going to be great, isn't it? Oh, no. Because oh, the, the air conditioner's busted in the entire building. And the windows don't open because it's a hotel, right? And so I'm, I'm mad and I'm tired and I'm angry and I'm sad. And so I'm like, come on, babe, let's go get something to eat. Where are we going to go? There's a Hooters right across the street. And we didn't go there that, that time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have a story I can't tell you. Oh. 
No, the hotel had a restaurant. It was a steakhouse, and I was mad. I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at flat irons. I'm mad at every person I know. So we walk in the steakhouse, and I go, I want the biggest steak you have, okay? Should have checked. It was big, all right? 700 grams. That's almost two pounds, all right? And I'm like, I don't care how much. And it was expensive, all right? And so I'm like, I don't care. Bring it. Stick it to the man. And then I realized the man was, I had the church credit card. <laughs> it's you. Thank you. Um, it was delicious. Um, uh, but anyway, they told me not to put that joke in, and I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. Thank you. You fed Rob and I will that day. Anyway, so anyway, so uh, we stay there for a couple nights, and everything's going, it's okay. We're, again, we're a mess. Everything just causes a lot of emotion. So the next day then was, it was Sunday, and, and James and Aaron are hosting that retreat, but everybody was leaving on Sunday. It was all wrapping up. And so we said, okay, what time should we Uber over? I know a risk. But what else are we going to do? All right, so they, they said, well, so we host church at our house on Sunday. All right, and so um, we, we look back, and this is what I, I said to James. I went, we don't really want to go to church ever again in that moment. It's like we're just kind of done with this whole thing. And he said, listen, church is in the morning. Come over around noon. Everybody should be gone by noon. We said, well, great. We'll, 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 we'll be there around, around, around lunchtime. And so we get to their house the next day at 10 after 12, right as church is starting because it's Mexico. I don't know, or everybody's Uber was late that day. I, I, don't, I don't know, but they're like, church starting, great. Praise the Lord. We're going to church, babe. So we go in to their courtyard outside, and they have all these folding chairs show up. And so we sit down as far away as we can, can be without being rude, all right? And, um, and then, then the worship kicks in, which is this guitar and this ukulele just jamming, all right? All right? And, 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 of course, I don't speak Spanish, and all the worship is in Spanish. So I just, I just sing Spanish-sounding words really loud, because that's what you do in countries, right? But, but here's the thing, right? And people were staring, but um, whenever, and I don't know if you've ever had a chance to do this, whenever I've been in another culture, another country, in another language, and people start worshiping God in that language, God gets so much bigger for me. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes whenever I think about God, I default to, he's this handsome, bald guy. No, uh, uh, he's just this, this white guy who likes the same stuff I like, Right? But when I get outside of America, God gets so much bigger. It's really emotional for me whenever I worship in another culture. And Robin and I are already starting really, really emotional. And so the, the worship kicks in. Robin lasts half a song. She falls apart and goes, I can't do this. And she goes in the house. I'm like, thanks, babe. I'll be all right. All right. And I, again, I'm on the back row singing and crying, you know, si, senor. That's all I know. And, uh, and people are like, oh, he's all right. So, so finally, worship kind of calms down. And, and again, I'm a wreck. And finally, the teacher stands up and goes, I'm going to teach. His name's Daniel Napier. He, I want him to come and teach us someday. Uh, he's just so, so, what a great teacher. He's a, he's a missionary from Greece that James had brought in to help lead the retreat there in Mexico City. And uh, he has this, this really, really cool story. He's a, he's a kid that grew up in California. Um, he never graduated high school. He got kicked out of every high school he tried. And so he joined the military, and he qualified to go to Bud's to become a SEAL. And a week before he was supposed to show up, he shattered his ankle. So that ended all his military career. And then somewhere in there, he, uh, he found God. And, and, and he's so intelligent, even though he never graduated high school, he now has two PhDs in, in theology. And he works uh, in Greece with refugees that, that wash up on the beach. He takes care of them, all right? Awesome dude. Has forgotten more about God's word than I'll ever know. And he stands up and he goes, I want to teach you today from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 11. So there are four gospels or biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this one's out of Matthew, chapter 11. And he's going to start reading. Now, you might have your Bibles with you wherever you are listening to me. I just let's leave them, just set them down, all right? Write this down and, and you can read it later. But I just want the kind of his words to wash over you right now, right now. okay? So, so, so 
this is Jesus talking to some people he's been teaching for a while, but he's, he's teaching them, but he's also kind of talking to God at the same time, all right? So this is what he says. Again, this is Jesus. He says, at this time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord in heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So what Jesus is saying is, and this is kind of my interpretation of it, it's like Jesus looks up at his Father in heaven and goes, so I've been watching all these people for, for, for several years now, and here's my, 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 my observation is that the really smart, educated people are, are missing you. He's like, oh, we're too smart for God, you know, right? And, but, but then I look at all, all these little kids and these children these, and, and these, these students and stuff like that, and, like, they get there fast. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that sometimes the younger generation catches on much quicker than us old people? It's just true. Jesus going, that's kind of what I see, and God's kind of like, it's your plan. And then, then Jesus goes on, and this is what he says. He says, all things have been committed to me, Jesus, right, by my Father, God. And this is so good, and I've missed it my whole life. He says, this is Jesus, he says, no one knows the son, me, no one knows me, really, except the father, and no one knows the father except me, the son, and those whom the son chooses to reveal him. Now, you gotta catch this, all right? What Jesus is saying is, so I'm, I'm the son of God, but you guys don't really understand that yet. The only person who really understands that is God, and you guys don't really know God yet, but I do, and I, I wanna tell you about him. So, so really, translated, it goes like this. Everything Jesus is about to say next is really a description of God. Uh, I'd like to describe to you the kind of father we have. I wanna describe to you, because you, you, you have some weird versions of him in your head. I, I wanna tell you what kind of father you have and how he responds to people like, like us. Now, time, I had heard those verses before. You know, I've heard those verses right there that I just talked about, and I heard the next verses taught about, I've taught about them a lot, okay? And when I start saying them, a lot of you can go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I never put them together. I never put what comes next as, I wanna tell you what kind of God we have. So, so what Daniel read next, what, that came out of Jesus' mouth, I wasn't ready for it. it, almost knocked me out of my chair. It still does. Let me tell you what kind of God we have. And the next words that come out of Jesus' mouth are this. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Are you, I'm, I'm on sabbatical because I'm that. I'm, I'm weary and I'm burdened and I'm crushed and I am exhausted in every part of my life. How is it possible that this, this is what you decide to teach on today, all right? And I'm literally in the back trying to hold my crap together and I'm sobbing. I'm making people uncomfortable, all right? People are handing me Kleenex. It's like the bad, the loud gringo singer is losing his minute. Right? He's, just, he's just losing, right? Sorry. Uh, anyway, um, pray through it. You'll be fine, all right? And I'm like, see, gracias, please. And that's not, all right? And, and so I think, okay, that's it. No, 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 there's more. There's, no, there's more. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this, all right? And Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, take my yoke upon you. And that's a farming metaphor. It's, it's like this. There's this yoke. Where two oxen are hitched together, and then they can pull the wagon. And basically, he's saying, hitch up with me, all right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am... Uh, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a couple things in there. First, remember, Jesus is attempting to describe to those who are willing to listen back then and even today 
I want to tell you what kind of God you have, what God is like, and what, that, what kind of response we get when, 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 we're, when we're tired. Anybody tired? Weary? Let me tell you what kind of God we have when you're just carrying this load and you're like your knees are about to buckle, all right? And the first two words out of Jesus' mouth say, I want to tell you what kind of God we have. He, he uses these two words, gentle and humble. And again, time out. Are you serious? I mean, if I were to have you pull out a piece of paper right now, start writing down names of God or words that describe God, all right? Um, I, let me tell you, for me anyway, gentle and humble, especially when you're a train wreck, don't even come to mind. They're not on the first 20 or 30 pages, right? I mean, you ask me to describe God to you, I'm going to go with all the typical ones. God is big. God is huge. God is almighty. God is all-powerful. He's creator of the universe. He's awesome. He's holy. He's all, all these things, all right? Um, but when I think of God, most of the time, I, the words gentle and humble don't come to mind for me. Mean does sometimes. And so Daniel's teaching all this, and he has to teach really, really slow because he has to say a few phrases and then wait, and then James translates this into Spanish. And so there's time for it to sink in. And I, I think, I can't speak for him, but I think Daniel could see that the, the crying, sobbing white guy in the back row is not the only person having a hard time picturing God as gentle and humble. And so he says this. I don't even know if this is in his notes or not. Maybe he just saw the look of confusion on, on our faces. And he, he says, okay. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, time out here. I know that just brought up a bunch of stuff for you. You're going, it's rolling your eyes. Oh, my gosh, this is one of those churches. I believe in evolution. I believe in science. I believe it took billions and billions of years or whatever. And then some of us are going, well, I believe in creation. I believe in six days or whatever. Hey, all you people, listen, good for you. At least you believe something, all right? Can you just take whatever you've decided about that, right, just ready, and just put it over there, and you can pick it up after the last song. All right, can we all just get on the same ground, the same page of, of this? I'm gonna throw it out, it's got really big guardrails. How about this? Somehow, all right, a big powerful God created everything. Is that big enough? I don't know, I, I, I don't have it all figured out. I have my belief, you have yours, whatever, okay? All right, um, so somehow God created all this, okay? And then I get to do something now uh, that Daniel didn't have in that courtyard. I want you to picture this, okay? We have this thing called the universe, and it's big. We don't, we don't even know how big it is. We just keep looking at it and it goes, there's more universe on the other side of that, all right? And we know this is that our universe is made up of billions of these things called galaxies, and one of those galaxies is ours, and it's called the Milky Way. And our galaxy is made up of billions of stars, and one of those stars is ours, all right? It's not the biggest star, it's not the brightest star, it's not the most significant star in the Milky Way, but it is ours, and we just look at them and go, there's the sun. We just call it sun in, in Mexico, Sol, right? Now, now around our sun are eight or nine planets. What, what I don't get, anyway. Um, <laughs> and we just say, oh, it's the earth, it's ours. It's home. It's, it's earth. Now, now, on this earth, there are 7.7 .7 billion of these little specks running around doing all kinds of stuff. And one of those specks is me. It's you. Now, at this point, I think, Daniel, you've made my point. God is big and huge, and I'm a speck. Right? Insignificant. And then Daniel says this. Whenever this little speck on the earth which is going around the sun, which is one of a billion stars, which is one of a billion galaxies in the universe. But whenever that little speck just gets tired, 
or weary. Whenever that speck feels like I'm carrying a burden and I can't do this anymore, it's going to crush me. Whenever that speck, whenever you make a mistake, whenever that speck looks back at God and goes, God, I know what you want me to do and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do something very different. I don't care. At that point, big, powerful God could do anything he wanted to that speck. He's big, powerful God. Who's going to stop him? The speck? No. I mean, think about it. We're the speck, right? He could punish you. He could squash you. He could end you. He could destroy you. At minimum, he has options, 7.7 billion of them, right? He could actually find a speck that would actually pay attention and listen to him and obey him. But whenever this speck falls down, Whenever we fall down or whenever we fall apart, big, powerful God's response to us is not to do any of those things. Big, powerful God's response to us is this. Come here, yoke up with me. I'm not going anywhere. Come closer, come closer. Let me help you carry that before it crushes you. Let's keep going together, we will figure this out. God, why would you do that for me? Because I am gentle and humble in heart, which by definition, that can be the only definition, right? So part one of truth number two is this. God's response to me when I fail, when I'm tired, when I'm overwhelmed, is to invite me closer to him, not to punish me or leave me behind. And notice I said part one. There's a part two coming. But in this moment, that's enough. Part one is all I needed. That's a lot. Right? I, I, God, you're going to tell me that you're not going to leave me. You're not going to forsake me. You're not going to turn your back on me. You're not going to throw me away. Please stay yoked up with me. That was enough, but there was more. That's just the first half, all right? So, so after the volcano blew up and the ashes blew away from the city for a while, we took off and we got home. When we got home, I got on eBay and I bought that from an Amish family in Indiana. 1850, all right? Anyways, it's, uh, and I hung it on my porch and I, and, I, and I had engraved the, the verses I just read, and I have it on the side of my porch, and I sat on a bench, and I stared at that for several hundred hours this summer, praying this prayer, please, God, don't leave me. This is too much. I'm alone. Ever prayed that prayer? Right? And, and so, so I, 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 come down, I come home, and it's time for my first mandatory counseling appointment. It ended up being all right, but I was mad. Dr. Powers, Harv Powers, he's really great, really great. And so, so I go, so I live in Erie, and he, his office is down in the tech center, and so, and it's always in the afternoon, so it's like an hour and a half, and, and so I have time to think about stuff. So anyway, I go down, I see Dr. Powers, and we kind of get to know each other, and then he says, okay, I'm going to meet with you again in two weeks. Um, I have a homework assignment, because that's what counselors do to us, all right? And so they said, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of write out a timeline of events of the last three years that have just worn you out and led to this thing called sabbatical. I'm like, okay. So I go home, and over the next two weeks, I churned through. I dug up every memory, every, you know, everything that had happened over the last couple, couple of years, and, and I wrote it all down. And I, I went deep, 12 pages, single space, 12-point font, all right? I put it all in there. And so two weeks later, I drive down to Dr. Power's office, and he goes, so did you, did, did you do it? I went, oh, yeah, buddy, buckle up, all right? And so for the next 90 minutes, I'm reading through this and this, all this kind of stuff. And by the time I get to the end of it, my blood pressure and my veins are sticking out, stuff like that. And I am fired up. And I look at him and go, see? Now you get it? You understand why I'm tired? I did this and this is what they did. I tried to do this. This is what I got back. All I got was this. I'm exhausted. And Harv is so good. He just went, talk about that. Because you know, that's what they do. 
And, um, you know, he said some really good, helpful things, though, you know, because I hadn't heard this from anybody in a long time. He looked at me and went, man, I'd be angry, too. <gasps> that felt good. It really, it really did, all right? I, I agree with you. Yeah, that, that had to be horrible, right? And it was going so well. And then five minutes before the appointment's over, Harv says this, okay, so you know, Jim, and I should have just went, don't, don't, don't ruin this moment. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't, all right? He says, you know, Jim, before you go back, before you meet with anybody, before you go back to Flatirons, whatever that is, you know that something has to change in you. And I'm like, no! We were getting along so well, you know, and, and I finally found somebody else on my side besides my, my wife, and I said, well, uh, what do you mean something needs to change in me? And I knew, I knew what he meant, and I just didn't want to hear it. I did not, I don't care if it's right. See, I knew what he was talking about. He was talking about the ultimate F word, forgiveness. And I didn't want to forgive anybody. I didn't want to want to forgive anybody. I didn't want to want to like 50 of them. I just, I couldn't see this, right? I, I just was thinking in my head, you want me to forgive, what, Judas? Stabbed me in the back? Betrayed me? I don't know, forgive him. I want to punish him. I want them to hurt like they hurt. I want to take stuff away from them like they took away from me. And so I did what I always do. I looked at Dr. Powers and went, well, I'll pray about it, which we all know means there's no way in hell I'm going to forgive them. All right, so that's, <laughs> that's, pray, you're fine. Pray through that. You're okay, all right? So, so it's 5 o'clock, you know, it's traffic and texting, i got to go to Erie, so it takes like an hour and a half to get home. And, and all the entire way home, I'm just, I'm speaking to people like going, I'm not, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't, they don't deserve, people, like, he's high, right, right? They, they, don't, they don't deserve to forgive. You know what, here's what really, really made me mad. They didn't think they'd done anything worth needing forgiveness for. They, it's like they think I'm the only one that did the bad stuff. You ever feel like that? I got an F word for you, but it is not forgiveness, all right? And uh, okay, remember I said last week, don't judge me. You're fine. Take a breath. Well, I just don't think that's very Christ-like. Shut up. I know. <laughs> but it's how I felt. And so I got home in record time. And uh, I'm just driving. So I, I get home and I walk in the house. And luckily, Robin's not there. And I, I head for my recliner and I grab my laptop because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to FaceTime James and tell him how stupid that appointment was. All right? And he'll be on my side, I, I bet. All right? So I'm sitting in my recliner. And then I decide to do something stupid. Maybe I should pray. Sidebar, if you don't want God to mess with you, then stop praying. Because if you pray, he's going to mess you up, all right? And so I, I go over, my, I'm in my chair, I got my laptop, getting ready to do it. And so I, I pray this, I pray, God, don't leave me. Stay yoked up with me. This is too much. I'm all by myself. I can't do this anymore. And I'm praying this prayer, and it's like, oh, crap. A light bulb came on. I'm like, dang it, no. See, I, 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 I'm not that, I don't hear from God. A voice came out. That's not me, all right? Um, but there's a truth that just filled my head and it was undeniable and I actually, like, I don't want that to be true. If you ever know stuff that is true and you just don't want it to be true. And here's the very, the truth that filled my head. The very thing that I am asking God to do for me is the very thing that people in my life need me to do for them. And I hate that. You go, well, what's that mean? It means the most important people in my life. You got yours. Uh, Robin calls me husband. I have some kids that call me dad. I have some grandkids that call me pop-up. I have people that call me friend, pastor, leader, teacher. The most important people in my life. You know what they do not need from me? They don't need me to punish them. They don't need me to hurt them. They don't need me to pay them back when I feel like they have done something wrong or hurtful in my direction. You know what? They, they need this. They need, because I'm not thinking about 
hypothetical. I'm thinking about real people. They need me to look at them and went, come here. Come here, we're not done. We're not done. Yoke up with me. We're going to figure this out. We're not going to quit on each other. And I sat there in my family room, and, and this is liminal space, all right? Liminal means the space between. We're all going to come to points in our life where we come to, something's got to change in my life. If I go right, my life is going to look like this. If I go left, my life is going to look very, very different. And you have to make choices. And I'm sitting in my family room going, okay, what am I going to do? Because my life is very different depending on if I go right, right, or left. And the question in my head was this, do I ask God to do for me what I refuse to do or offer to the people in my life? Because that's what I normally do. Here's how I live my life most of the time. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm all yoked up with Jesus. It's me and you, buddy, and you got me out of hell. Now just keep on going and never leave me or forsake me. And then one of you guys, well, that's make me mad. And I'll go, excuse me, and I'll take off the yoke. And then I'll go over there and go, bam, all right, and I'll let them have it. And then I'll go back to Jesus and go, okay, let's go on. And he's like, no. Does that feel familiar or am I the only one? Right? He's like, no, 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 no. No, we're going to stay together. We're not going to do that anymore. Different operating system. Am I going to do that? Or, here's my other, out of my understanding of God's constant response to me, am I willing to respond in the same way to those who are dependent upon me? It's a, it's a very different outcome. Right? So, so last week I mentioned that um, the way I see my role here at Flatirons um, is my job is to represent Jesus. Say he's like this. He's the groom, and the church is called the bride of Christ. So, bride, this is what Jesus is like. And I wish that I, like, I always thought like that because I'm such a student of God's word, right? But there are times when I know something is true in my head, but in the chaos of life, I just, I just gets lost. You know what I'm talking about, right? But one, one of the promises, and Jesus makes this promise several times, when people are kind of freaking out, like, don't leave us, don't leave us, all right? But he says, after I, after I resurrect from the dead and I return to my Father, here's my promise, is I'm going to send you my spirit. And this is a mystery. I don't even understand how it happens fully, right? But the promise he says is that, he says, my spirit will come and my spirit will remind us of forgotten truths at just the right time if we're willing to pay attention and listen. And I didn't just read that in the Bible. I've experienced it. And here's what, here's what it looks like. Here's how Jesus reminded me of that forgotten truth. So at the very beginning of my sabbatical, um, it was so, it's, we're in early June now, um, my son uh, finished writing his very first book. And he said, Dad, will you read this and just see if it's any good? And if it's, if it's any good, um, would, you, would you write the forward for it? I'm like, buddy, of course I will. I'm so proud of you. So I said, yes, all right. And so the, the, the book is, it's gonna be here on the screen. The book is entitled Man on the Throne. Um, and it, it's not available yet. It comes out in February. You can get it on Amazon. But, but here's how he, he wrote this book. Um, he's he's a, one of the spiritual formation for, for men, leaders here at our church. And he spent about a year, year and a half uh, leading a group of young 20-something-year-old guys who are made up of unmarried guys who wanna get married someday or, or young guys who are, just married, and they're like all young guys who are just married, we're just trying to figure it out, okay, all right, so, so Jordan in this book, he unpacks a concept that a lot of us have maybe heard of before, but not very many people understand, and, and he unpacks, the whole book is about how is a, a husband or a father, what does it mean to be the spiritual head or the spiritual leader of your family, it is a great read, again, I recommend it to any guy who says, I want to get married someday, or get married again someday, or anybody that's married currently going, I, I want to invest in my marriage, I want to I lead my family better, all right, um, and so I, I recommend that. But as I'm reading through it, okay, about halfway through, Jordan tells this story about how he and his wife, Leah, um, they have an agreement, 
It goes like this. When the kids are in the room, they got three little kids, all right, seven and younger, all right? When the kids are in the room, they will support one another and they will not undermine or contradict one another in front of their kids. Now, they'll go in the other room and go, I need to talk to you. What? Have you lost? Whatever that is, okay? But in front of the kids, we're at least going to act like we're supporting each other, okay? That is great marriage advice, by the way. It will save a lot of grief, all right? And it's great parenting advice as, as well. Here's the problem with it is that nobody does it perfectly. Nobody has ever done it perfectly. I haven't. So Jordan points out whenever Leah has violated that agreement in the past, Jordan says my first response or my reaction is I want to do it back to her in front of the kids so she feels like I feel. Do you see where this is going? Right? With this whole yoked up thing. And I, I said a couple weeks ago, when I, my first weekend back, uh, my son will always be my son, but this summer he became my pastor. This is, this is that moment. Jordan goes on to say, God never responds to us that way. Right? God, God will never hit you back. God's response will always be whatever he has to do to bring us back, to get us back on track. The, the, the goal, because he's a good God, whatever he does in our life, it will always be for our good. God will never take vengeance out on you. God will never punish you just to make you hurt. Now, he'll discipline us and he'll correct us, but he won't just hurt us. And I'm reading, I'm reading about a husband's response to his bride, and I'm processing this whole God's response to me as gentle and humble, you know, of come here, don't, let's don't give up on each other, let's, let's figure this out. And all that kind of came together to combine that, and it's really important you hear this part, help me begin to turn a corner. It did not change in a day, or a week, or a month. It hasn't totally healed yet. The journey continues, right? But at least I thought about, for the first time, considering and then moving towards offering forgiveness. And here's a new aha moment. Maybe I need to ask for some. Maybe there's two sides to this whole thing, right? Because until that happened, healing couldn't happen. And it's still healing, not done. I'm gonna close up. I'm gonna ask you some really hard, intrusive questions because that's, that's what you like me to do. Um, and some of you are going, I just don't ask that one question. So here, I'm, if people ask me questions, I'm going to pass them on to you, right? Do you understand that something has to change in you before anything is ever going to change between you and somebody else? Do you understand it's got to start with you? Because you don't know what it, oh, it has to start with you. Now let's get very specific and intrusive. Is there somebody, and I bet you're thinking about them right now, is there somebody in your life that needs you to respond to them in the same way that you have begged God and he has responded to you. Now here's what I know is happening again, all right? You're having imaginary conversations with me in your head. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. You don't know what she did. You don't know what he did. If you just knew the whole story, there's no way you would ever. You know what? You're right. You win, right? This is, do they deserve to be punished? Yeah, they do, right? Do they, do they really screw things up? Yes, again. Did they make a mistake? Without an argument, they, they made a mistake. Were they wrong? Oh, they were wrong. All right. Were they confused? Were they overwhelmed? How about this? Is it possible that they're carrying something really, really heavy and hard, whether it's their fault or somebody else's fault, it just they have to carry it now? But how about this? If nothing changes, if nobody, nobody comes alongside of them, is it possible that they're about done and they're gonna get crushed? Is it possible? Yeah? Let me go back to last week. You can't fix anybody. You can't control anybody. 
You're never told to do that. But is it possible that what they need from you is something similar to what you've received from God? And I know that brings up all kinds of tension. How do I yoke up with somebody and at the same time look over and go, something has to change. You can't do this anymore. Right? And I had a question from a lady out in the lobby last night. She goes, this is really confusing to me. I had to make my husband get out of the house because he was beating me and the kids up. Good. Good. You might have to put some space between you and somebody to, to stay safe. You may have to get a restraining order. You might have to file papers, whatever that is. The thing is, is that, my, my, I, they're like, I was, talking, I was talking to people last night. I'm, I'm not talking about getting sexually abused. I'm not talking about getting the crap beat out of you. You've got to get safe. All right, so don't, I don't want to confuse anybody. But I'm not talking about, I'm talking about most of our relationships where we just look over and somebody screws up and our response is, I'm just done with you. You know what I'm talking about? So what if, hey, I'm done with you or I'm slipping the yoke. What if we say I'm not going to do that anymore? What, what, if, what if leaving them, I'm going to leave you until you get your stuff figured out. What if, what if that's not how we talk to each other anymore? What if punishing one another or paying people back, that's not an option anymore? What if we just... We're different. So I have this metaphor that's going through my head uh, about this is kind of what, it, I, I just sit on my porch and I think about stuff, you know, and this is pretty dark, because it's been a dark six months, all right? So here's kind of the metaphor for what I'm talking about, all right? Hang with me, all right? If you killed my kid, I want to kill your kid. Now we both have dead kids and we're both just sad. And that is how we live our lives almost every day, hurting one another. It's got to stop. Or nothing's going to change. And what if, our, what if our response when somebody hurts us is just to take a breath and remember this and go, come here, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what we're gonna do, but we're not gonna dump each other. We're, we're, we're gonna figure this out. Um, or let me just paraphrase. Jesus said it better than I ever could come up. How about, how about if we begin to approach each other something like this, Come here, come to me. I know you are weary. And you're just carrying this burden. Just come here, and, and I'll give you some rest. Take my yoke, let's do this together upon you, and I, I might have something to offer, learn from me. And I know that I could do what I've always done before, but I'm different now. I'm, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke, right? Your burden is heavy, but my yoke is easy, and the burden is like when we're carrying it together. That's what I need from God. So the rest of truth number two goes like this. God's response to me when I fail, when I'm tired and overwhelmed is to say, come closer, not punish me or leave me. And here's the rest of that. This is the same response that people in my life need from me. This is the same response that people in your life need from you. Just who's gonna go first? And I know it's bringing up all kinds of stuff right now. I don't know if I can do that. I know. Most of this you can't do unless God's living inside of you and he gives you the strength and courage to do this because somebody's got to go first. But let's just go back, all right? Wouldn't you say that the biggest wound and, and re, the, the, the most painful memory in your life is when somebody just looked at you and went, I'm done with you, and they walked away? Remember that? You're still carrying it. It happened decades ago. Jesus will never do that to us. We're going to sing this song in a minute. Um, this, I'll tell you, because Christians are so weird, so I'm calling you out, right? When we sang this song the first time, I got all these emails going, I think this song is theologically incorrect. Again, shut up, all right? Because um, the name of the song is called Reckless Love. And somebody wrote me and goes, I just don't think that you can say God is reckless. I, I can. 
Because reckless by definition is he throws all common sense and logic out the window and does something. What are you talking about? He came after me. Right? He came after you. He didn't give up. As a matter of, there's a line in this song. There's so much churchy language in here. But let me just explain it, okay? Basically, Jesus tells a story. He goes, if there were 100 of you who all had your stuff together, and then I counted up and there was 99 and you were missing, I would leave the 99 and I would go find you. And you know what his response to you would be? Come here, yoke up with me. Actually, I will carry you back to the place where you need to be. Jesus does that for us all the time. Is it possible there might be somebody in your life that needs that from you? That's between you and God. You're in a liminal space right now. You're gonna go left, you're gonna go right, and your future will be very different. And somebody else's future will be very different. Let's stand up, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna leave you in that space to wrestle with God. So God, in this moment, in this liminal space right here, the space of choice and decision and what am I gonna do with my life, I just pray that we would just stop and take a time out and just remember this yoke and how you respond to us. God, I could give you a thousand reasons why you should just crush this little speck and find a better one. And yet your response to all of these little specks, listen to my voice right now, is I love you, I love you so much, I'd give my son for you to get you back to where you need to be with me, carrying the load together. So God, I, I just pray, first of all, that you would remind any person that's listening to my voice right now that they are not alone and they don't have to do this by themselves anymore, that you are right here with us, yoked up, and you're not going anywhere. And then we're gonna kind of understand that by reaching out to maybe somebody in our life that you're bringing to our mind right now because they need that. In, in, in human form right now, or they're just not gonna make it. And so God, whatever that is, that's yours. Because you're in control and we're not, but you're good and you love us and you want good for all of us. Because of that, we can sing a song about how good you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.